we worship and adore you. Bowing down before you. Songs of praise and singing. Hallelujah's ringing. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have relieved me in my distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O sons of men, how long will my honor become a reproach? How long will you love what is worthless and aim at deception? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly man for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Tremble and do not sin. Meditate in your heart upon your bed and be still. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and trust in the Lord. Many are saying, who will show us any good? Lift up the light of your countenance upon us, O Lord. You have put gladness in my heart, more than when their grain and new wine abound. 
In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me to dwell in safety. Let's pray. Lord, we know that when we call that you hear, and and you hear because of your work, what you have delivered us as a people, you will see to the end. And Lord, we trust in that and we walk in that. We pray that you would strengthen us to continue in that march, that as we live, we would know your grace, know your love, and we would proclaim your great salvation, for it is only in you that we are safe. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Celebrate the presence of the Lord, for he is worthy to be praised. Celebrate the presence of the Lord, for he is worthy to be praised. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Celebrate. no list because I looked at it and realized there was so little on there that I could remember it. Cross your fingers, right? (laughs) You don't have to be so astounded by that. Um, Reminders, a couple of things though. Uh, Mission projects, backpacks, sheets are there. There there was one there this morning. I know I'll get some more out this week. If you have delivered backpack stuff, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. We have stuff in the office. We have backpacks in the office. So if you want to grab a sheet and grab a backpack and fill it and come back, that's awesome. If you just want to bring the stuff in, we will get them packed in October when the time comes. No, I don't know what distribution of that is going to look like yet. As of right now, it's going to look like dropping them off at places where we know people can get them. That's the extent of it. We don't know if that changes as the weeks go by. I'm not hopeful. So we will just cross that bridge when we get to it and deal with it until then. 
Um, beyond that, that was literally everything that I had on my list. Am I forgetting something already? <laughs> See, it's everything else. Read your bulletin. It will do you good. See, you just listen to me less and less on a Sunday morning. Isn't that a blessing? You weren't supposed to agree to that. <laughs> Who named Moses? The great disembodied voice from behind me. Yes, Pharaoh's daughter. <laughs> I told you there would be a quiz on this stuff later. I had a trivia question that helped with that, so we went with it. Just goes to show that God accomplishes his purposes with whoever he is using at the time, which means one of the, one of the great lessons from the Old Testament is sometimes when we say God's using his people, what we're saying is God's using the people whether they like it or not. Because in that moment... Pharaoh's daughter is his people. When Babylon comes in to deliver justice, according to Habakkuk, the Babylonians are God's people doing his work. God works and moves in ways that we don't always understand and make sense of, but they are always accomplishing his goal of his kingdom. And that's the thing we always have to remember and, and walk in as we go. So don't say it out loud. So shh. What book records the history of the pre-Mosaic time? We're using the fancy words today. Pre-Mosaic means before Moses. Don't, I know this is easy. The reason for the question is always the important part. I know I'm a terrible person. I want you to read your Bible. It'll do you good. I, <laughs> see? I, I wonder if I've almost said that too many times. Almost. No. See, nope. it started out as a defense mechanism, and I will admit, I stole that from Dr. Frank Catanzaro. Isn't that a great name for a seminary professor from South Carolina? Like, how many Catanzaros are there running around in South Carolina? I found the one, and he was a uh, biblically, biblical, counsel, biblical counseling professor, if I could speak English. And he is like me in this regard. I can remember the quote, and I can remember about where it is. But like, you know those people who look at you and go, well, Psalm 119.42 says. I can't do that. I might know what it says, but I don't know that it's Psalm 119.42. But I can usually narrow it down to about where it is. So his thing was always like, it's in you know, Ecclesiastes somewhere. And you go, read the book of Ecclesiastes, it'll do you good. I'm like, yes! Just so you know, I am taking that. It is now mine. <laughs> so that's where that comes from. It's not my fault. It was <laughs> thrust upon me by a seminary professor, and I had no choice but to claim it as my own. Yes, I had him for multiple classes, uh, biblical counseling, uh, a couple marriage and family classes. Yes, he was he was a fun little uh, lunatic, would be a nice way to put it. <laughs> Again, you can't be named Catanzaro, live in South Carolina, and be normal. He was the one who had the idea. He was actually in a uh, music minister in churches, and he got so tired. He was in a, a, very, a rather large church. He got so tired of people asking to sing solos that he finally came up with a rule that you can sing a solo provided you sing it from the choir loft or the balcony, which was in the back of the church. So if you're willing to get in a microphone behind everybody and sing, you can sing. And suddenly the requests for solos went away. Mm. <laughs> yeah, people are like, what do you mean I can't sing it in front of everyone where they can look at me? I don't want to sing then. Hi. <laughs> and the people who did want to sing like that, he would stick them up there and let them sing because it didn't matter. Mm -hmm. So there you go. And, and innovative solutions. All right, anything else I'm forgetting before we ramble on any further? In that case, I'm going to sit down and we can keep on singing. We have heard the joyful sound. Jesus saves, Jesus saves. 
spread the tidings all around. Jesus saved, Jesus saved. Bear the news to every land. Climb the steeps and cross the waves. Onward tis our Lord command. Jesus saved, Jesus saved. Wafted on the rolling tide, Jesus save, Jesus save. Tell the sinners far and wide, Jesus save, Jesus save. Sing ye islands of the sea, echo back the ocean wave. Earth shall keep her jubilee. Jesus save, Jesus save. Give the wind a mighty voice. Jesus save, Jesus save. Let the nations now rejoice. Jesus save, Jesus save. Shout salvation full and free. Highest hills and deepest caves. This our song in victory, Jesus save, Jesus save. This our song of victory, Jesus save, Jesus save.
Yes, that, that tape is important because I just about strangled myself three times sitting down. Because you lean on the cord and then turn your head and you're like, ow! You wouldn't think that little bitty cable has enough to hold that into the ear and yank your head, but it does. I know, I'm, I'm first world problems, right? All right, something useful this morning, which we are going to take a chunk today, something we haven't done in a few weeks, but Old Testament chapters sometimes do this to you. There is nowhere to divide this, so Exodus chapter 5. We're going to do the whole thing, and the, the complaining is over. Well, I can't say that, because 
about halfway through the chapter, it starts up again. The complaining from Moses to God is, well, that's not over yet either. <laughs> Nothing we've dealt with before is over, but the stuff we've been trying to get to, we're going to get to that today. So I guess the best way to say that is business is picking up. Now, reminder, we have been told a lot of stuff thus far in the book. We have been promised things by God. I say we, we're just reading along. But Israel, Moses have been promised things by God. Remember that. And just in case you have forgotten, I will remind you as we go through, because it will be vital to seeing the problems of this chapter and of this book as we continue to go through. So lessons for today. Consistency of God, idiocy of people, and I am not kidding. Just when you think we're going to get something right, we're going to go in the wrong direction here. What is the proper understanding and direction for our worship and our reverence? And why does this chapter point us to the need for discipline in Christian living? Believe it or not, it actually does that. So, before we do anything else, let's read Exodus chapter 5, verses 1 through 23. And afterward, Moses and Aaron came and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may celebrate a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and besides, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please, let us go a three days journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Otherwise, he will fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you draw the people away from their work? Get back to your labors. And again, Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are now many, and you would have them cease from their labors? So the same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters over the people and their foremen, saying, you are no longer to give the people straw to make bricks as previously. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the quota of bricks which they were making previously, you shall impose on them. You are not to reduce any of it because they are lazy. Therefore, they cry out, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Let the labor be heavy upon the men and let them work at it so that they will pay no attention to false words. So the taskmasters of the, pe the, taskmasters of the people and their foremen went out and spoke to the people saying, thus says Pharaoh, I am not going to give you any straw. You go and get straw for yourselves wherever you can find it, but none of your labor will be reduced. So the people scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters pressed them, saying, Complete your work quota, your daily amount, just as when you had straw. Moreover, the foremen of the sons of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not completed your required amount either yesterday or today in making brick as previously? Then the foremen of the sons of Israel came and cried out to Pharaoh, saying, why do you deal this way with your servants? There is no straw given to your servants, yet they keep saying to us, make bricks. Behold, your servants are being beaten, but it is, it is the fault of your own people. But he said, you are lazy, very lazy. Therefore you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. So go now and work, for you will be given no straw, yet you must deliver the quota of bricks. The foremen of the sons of Israel saw that they were in trouble because they were told, you must not reduce your daily amount of bricks. When they left Pharaoh's presence, they met with Moses and Aaron as they were waiting for them. They said to them, may the Lord look upon you and judge you. 
For you have made us odious in Pharaoh's sight and in the sight of his servants, to put a sword in their hand to kill us. Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, Lord, why have you brought harm to this people? Why did you ever send me? Ever since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done harm to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. (sighs) Yes, the whiny voices were intentional. And the reason being is, if you're like me, you get in the habit of just reading your Bible, you know, like you just kind of get through it, and it's just monotone in your head. I think sometimes adding a little emotion helps see the picture a little bit clearly. Is it guaranteed that it should have been read like that? No. Do I, do I mind? No, not in the least. So let's rewind, dive right in. This is good stuff. Afterward, Moses and Aaron, what's the afterward? Where have we just been? We can't forget already. We've, we've just been where? I flipped the page and I shouldn't have. The people believed. Moses and Aaron came, told them all that God had said, performed the signs, gave them the promises. The people believed, and when they heard that the Lord was concerned about the sons of Israel, that he had seen their affliction, they bowed low and worshipped. So we've just left the worship service, right? Afterward, Moses and Aaron came to Pharaoh and said, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let... I shouldn't ruin this because I can't do it, but you know this is where you get your Charlton Heston voice, right? Let my people go, reverberating throughout the hall, so that they may celebrate a feast to me in the wilderness. Well, wait a minute. That's not deliverance from Egypt totally, is it? That's like a weekend vacation to go have a worship service someplace else. Remember that we are negotiating. Go back to chapter 3. They will pay heed to what you say, and you with the elders of Israel will come to the king of Egypt, and you will say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. So now, please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. God has already told Moses that he is going to deliver them completely from Egypt. He has told them to go ask Pharaoh for an extended weekend. Why? What's Pharaoh going to say? He's going to say no. God is legitimately and purposely picking a fight with Pharaoh. The stubbornness of Pharaoh is going to be undone by the sovereignty of God. This is your lesson from the end of the book of Job, Job 42. I know that you, talking about God, can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. So God is going to make a reasonable request of Pharaoh. Pharaoh is going to say no. So God is going to make a more unreasonable request and Pharaoh is going to say no. And then God is going to take what is rightfully his. We are negotiating in reverse to show that this wasn't just the benevolence of Pharaoh, this was the power and might of God. That way, when God can tell the Israelites, I delivered you out of Egypt by the power of my mighty right hand, he means it. There is no doubt who has accomplished this. Verse 2. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. Now, notice the NASB here. When I read Lord, it looks different, right? Literally, who is Yahweh that I should obey his voice? I do not know any Yahweh. I got nothing here. Putting the best construction on things, you got to give Pharaoh a little bit of grace here. I mean, does he know who Yahweh is? No. Who is Pharaoh in in Egypt? He is the son of the gods. He is divinity on earth, ruler of all. You name it, he owns it. Why should I listen to you people, your slaves? Not to mention the fact, did Moses know who Yahweh was? Yes. 
He grew up an Israelite, at least for a little while. He understood who his people were, and he lived with a father-in-law who was a priest of God Most High. He knew who God was, and yet, what did he say? Moses said to God, Behold, I am going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. They may say to me, What is his name? What shall I tell them? Remember when we talked about that section, uh, Exodus 3.13. It wasn't, I need a name here. It was, we already know that I'm nothing, so since we know who I am, the more important question now is, who are you? Prove something. Moses knows who he is, standing before him, and he's asking for proof. Pharaoh has no idea who he is, is not standing before him. You would expect what? Let's see some proof here. Let's, let's work this out. Don't miss the last little clause here. Besides, I will not let Israel go. Does it matter who Yahweh is? No. Is God surprised by this? No. Remember part of the lesson here going on, Proverbs 21.1. The king's heart is like channels of water in the hands of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. If you don't get that reference, you ever cleaned your sink like that real quick? Like you wash your hands, you notice there's some dirt in the side of your sink, so what do you do? You cup the water in your hands and turn a little bit, and so the water splashes over there, and then you wipe it up real fast. I can't be the only person who's ever done that. Thank you. Come on. I mean, I'm not talking about that's the only way you clean your sink, but every once in a while you're like, I haven't got time to go get the Clorox and the wipes and everything. I just need to like, get the dirt off. What Proverbs is telling you is that's how God moves the nations. He can just turn it how he wishes. What is he doing here with Pharaoh? He's turning it how he wishes so that he can accomplish his purposes. God's majesty, God's power, God's redemption of his people being displayed for them and also being displayed, that's why it's in a book, for us. So, excuse me, verse 3. Then they said, so this back to Moses and Aaron, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. See, we're off to a bad start already. Is that all God is? No. Psalm 24, 1. The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. Does everybody know that? Psalm 19. The heavens are telling of the glory of God. Their expanse is declaring the works of his hands. Day to day pours forth speech and night to night reveals knowledge. The answer is yes. That's why Paul in Romans 1 tells you that they reject the truth of God in unrighteousness. I've used this example before. Do I have anything? Oh, I have something. I'll use it again. Go look on YouTube and look up Ray Comfort videos. They're so much fun because it's it's a dude with a camera and a microphone evangelizing at the Santa Monica Pier and Beach. It's just no one has punched this man in the face in 30 years. How that is possible is the grace of God and the power at display. I have no idea. But he'll, he'll do this and he'll walk people through the law. And he'll say, and he'll, you know, are you, have you ever told a lie? Yes. Have you ever lusted after someone? Yes. Have you ever been angry with somebody? Yes. Well, by your own admission, you're a lying, adulterous murderer. If God were to judge you in the day of judgment, how would, he, how would you be judged? And they always say what? I don't believe in God. And you know what he says? Yes, you do. And they say, no, I don't. Yes, you do. Because they do. That's what Paul is getting on about. You know in your heart that there is God. You look out at the world around you. You can't see it. There's brick walls here. But if you look out the windows, you see the grandeur of creation, the beauty of the earth, and you know that this came from someone's hand. You may not know specifically anything about him, but you know that he's there. So when someone comes and tells you about him, what should happen? (gasps) 
I get it now. You know, and you know that you know, and that's why you rejected an unrighteousness. Pharaoh knows. Moses and Aaron know. But are we using that as our argument? Keep in mind, what did Moses and Aaron say when they walked in first? Because it was good. Thus says the Lord, let my people go, 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 go. Is that a request? No. Read your prophets. That's why this, this starts here. If you read, go read Isaiah, read Jeremiah, Hosea, read all those guys. You'll notice a recurring theme if you're, uh, if you're an old King James person. Thus saith the Lord. Yeah. Why is, why is this prophet talking? Because God has given him a message. This isn't the prophet talking. This is God's words, not mine. I don't care if you listen to me. I care if you listen to him. Therefore, we declare what is right. That's what Moses and Aaron started with. We've missed that. Because we've missed that, we have now moved away from the demand, and we are doing what? Please, let us go a three days journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. I mean, otherwise, he will fall upon us with pestilence and with the sword. I mean, dude, we said let us go, and you said no, please, because otherwise God might be angry with us and he'll hurt me. Are we declaring? What does this really sound like? If you had to describe it with one word, what is this? This is begging. Who's in charge here? Who's supposed to be in charge here? God is. Based on this conversation thus far, who is now in charge? Pharaoh's in charge. Moses and Aaron have abdicated and given way. Hence the reason for verse 4. The king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron... Why do you draw the people away from their work? Get back to your labors. He rejects the truth and unrighteousness, as we've just mentioned. Now, first reminder, is this a surprise? Now, we know this isn't a surprise to God. Is this a surprise to us? Exodus 3, verse 19. I know that the king of Egypt will not permit you to go except under compulsion. Exodus 4, verse 21. The Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you perform to Pharaoh all the wonders which I have put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. You knew when you walked in the room that the answer was going to be what? No. Are you supposed to negotiate? Are you supposed to beg? Are you supposed to plead? No, you're supposed to do what? Demonstrate the power of God and know that who will work. Pharaoh? No, Pharaoh can't do anything. Know that God will take care of his people. Remember that in a couple of verses, please, because we get a little interlude here. What does that rejection of God and unrighteousness look like in real time? It looks like verses 5 through 9. Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are now many, and you would have them cease from their labors? He's like, this is it. So the same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters over the people and their foremen, saying, You are no longer to give them the brick, um, give the people straw to make bricks as previously. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the quota of bricks which they were making previously, you shall impose on them. You are not to reduce any of them, because they are lazy. And therefore they cry out, Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Let the labor be heavier on the men and let them work at it so they will pay no attention to false words. See, when you read it like that, it makes a little more sense, doesn't it? Kind of puts a little more punch into it. That's a little helpful sometimes. 
that, none of that is new in human history. Understand this. You want historical examples? Look at the 20th century. You can go back and look at the Middle Ages. A rejection of and a hatred of God always, always manifests itself as a hatred of God's people. Always. There is not a society on earth for which that has not been true. Reject God, hate his people. Walk away from God, hate his people. Every single time. What does that look like in modern day world? What's the most atheistic, secular culture we have, or country we have on this planet? Well, we probably have a couple of them, so give me a top five. China. Russia's a little different now. The, uh, old Russia, yes. Modern Russia, not so much. There you go. There's the other one. That's why I said I'll probably take two big answers. What do they both have in common with any religious group? To the salt mines with you. I mean, doesn't matter what religious group. Get out. Go find somewhere else to be. We will put you in camps. We will beat you. We will find you. We'll do something. Why? Rejection of God always leads to a hatred of his people. Now, here's the fun part. Does the secularist, the person that completely rejects God, make any differentiation as to who God's people are? No. If you claim a God of any kind, they'll count you as his people. Therefore, you're off to the salt mines too. Why? Romans 1.32. Although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. And if I'm going to approve of evil, and you're going to be in my country, what do I need you to do? I need you to approve of evil, because if you don't, you know what you continually remind me of? That I'm doing evil, and then that little voice that's in me that says, there's a God, and he's going to judge you and send you to hell if you don't stop this, gets louder. And I don't like that voice, and I want him to shut up. And since I can't shut him up and you keep bringing him up, who's got to leave the room? You do, because you keep reminding me. As long as you go away, I can forget. And that's what we all want when we're evil. This is how this works. Welcome to persecution in a country, and this is how it starts. Rejection of God always leads to a rejection and hatred of his people. Now, <clears throat> fun question for us is, why? Because who's on the throne? God is. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We do not speak wisdom among those who are mature. A wisdom, however, I'm sorry, let me, read, let me read that properly and not put words in where they don't belong. Yet, we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. A wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. We speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. John 15. If the world hates you, this is Jesus talking, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. This is why. Believe it or not, it's good news. It's good news. Doesn't feel like good news, but it is. Because it is a line of demarcation. It is a separation. In order to follow faithfully and bear up under pressure, what must be applied? Pressure. 
I can't bear up under pressure if there isn't any actual pressure. I cannot reject the things of the world if there aren't first what? Things of the world. I need a line of demarcation, and that is how God provides it. Not by redeeming immediately all of human culture, but by redeeming people out of it and allowing them to be strange and unusual within it. That's why you are in the world, but you are not of the world. That's the distinction that's supposed to be drawn. You still have to go to the same stores everybody else goes, right? Like, you don't get to go to the Christian Walmart while everybody else goes to the evil, angry, atheist Walmart. You go where? Just go to Walmart. And you're an American, therefore you go to Walmart. That's <laughs> just how this works. By the time, what, what are we, about 10 years away, you're going to be able to buy all your stuff, what? Costco, Walmart, and Amazon. They're, they're going to own everything, and you'll be able to do it all from your couch, and they'll have a drone drop it off in your living room. <laughs> Unless you're in, like, Alabama or Mississippi, and then the drones won't deliver because we're too busy shooting them. That was an actual story. One of the, one of the, if you have the, one of the drones, the last vi- the, uh, image it picked up was people in the yard with shotguns. <laughs> there you go, same idea. Yeah, there, there's where we're headed. So yeah, Amazon, Costco, and Walmart will just own everything, and you can order from your couch. That's human history. Is there going to be like the Christian internet and the atheist internet? No, there's just internet. Like, do you get to drive on the Christian interstate? No, you drive on the interstate. You deal with unbelievers and atheists all the time, and that's good for them and for you. For them, because you are the light, the salt, the witness, the testimony in this world that is darkened. For you, because you now get a vivid example of what you are not to be and the opportunity to not be it. That's how this works. Anybody who's ever prayed for patience knows exactly what I'm talking about. How do you get more patience? By people getting on your nerves and trying your patience. How do you deal with your anger problem? By people cutting you off in traffic, left and right. (laughs) By people giving you the opportunities to get angry and you going, I'm going to do this. (laughs) Because that's how you start, right? Like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. Yes, I am! (sighs) Suddenly have a John Wayne movie. I'm not going to hit him. I'm not going to hit him. Bam! Never seen the John Wayne movies? Watch them all. They'll do you good. Now, understand that this bearing up, this walking differently, is part of living in this world. This is why you bear up. Um, Ephesians 6. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. We're doing our math equation backwards. Hatred and rejection of God always leads to a hatred of his people. People of God, you are not fighting them. They are not fighting you. They're fighting against God. You just happen to be in the way because they can't get their hands on him, but who can they get their hands on? Your goal is not to defeat them. Your goal is to win them and testify to them and convert them. There's a difference between those two things. Our goal is not to conquer this place. It is to walk faithfully in the midst of it, knowing that as we are defeated, 
he is victorious. This is the end of Romans 8. We're put to the sword. We're killed every day. But what are we? We're more than conquerors because we are overcome. Why? Because we have God. And they can't take that. And they hate that. So they try all the more, but they can't take it. And so we keep walking. See, we don't win against this world by crushing it and going, oh, we now have our Christian interstate and our our Christian Walmart and our Christian internet. We don't have to interact with you people. No, we win by interacting, bearing up, completing our race, entering into the glory of his presence, and then going, the kingdom will come, whether you like it or not. I pray you like it, but if you don't, the punishment will come upon sin, either upon Christ at his cross or upon you in eternity. Those are the options, and we have to remember that as we walk. We conquer not by defeating them, but by testifying to them and walking faithfully in Christ, regardless of where we go, because they're not the enemy. Our sin is, and we're not their enemy. God is. It's just the end of it, and you're seeing that in action here in Exodus. So the taskmasters of the people and their foremen went out, spoke to the people, saying, Thus says Pharaoh. That's intentional. Who's supposed to be thus saying in this chapter? Thus saith the Lord, right? Now we're thus saith Pharaoh. I am not going to give you any straw. You go and get straw for yourselves wherever you can find it. None of your labor will be reduced. So the people scattered through all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters pressed them saying, complete your work quota, your daily amount, just as when you had straw. And moreover, the foremen of the sons of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, why have you not completed your required amount, either yesterday or today, in making brick as previously? Now, is this fun? No. Not going to deny it. Not going to argue that this is good physically or emotionally or mentally for Israel in any shape, form, or fashion. What we are going to do is point out the dual purposes of God here in Exodus. What are the two things God is removing? Do you remember? We're removing Israel from Egypt. But what else are we doing? We're removing Egypt from Israel. We have to do this. This is also why we don't use earthly categories to define good or bad. Is this good? In an earthly sense, no. In an eternal sense, is this good? Yes, because what are we doing here? We are pruning Israel from Egypt. At least we're trying to. Don't know how successful we're actually going to be, but we'll cover that as we get through this later on. This is part of what's going on. Um, This is what we're talking about Wednesday nights. We're walking through Job. When God takes Job's family, his house, his livestock, everything that you would count as an earthly success, is that good? Normally you would look at it and say, well, not really, but if that's the means by which Job is sanctified and purified away from this world to a pure love of God and a walking in him, is it good? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. We don't think like this. If I love my house more than I love God, what does God need to do to it? Yeah. Oh, man, why do I always have a 70s song for something? So you had to say, you couldn't say, no, you couldn't say destroy it. You had to say burn it down. And my brain immediately went, burning down the house. Why? Why does my brain do these things to me? Like a jukebox of every bad song you've ever heard at the exact moment you don't want to remember it. 
be so thankful you are not me or my wife. Because imagine having to live with that on a daily basis. Pray for my wife. She's married to an idiot. Or, yeah, there you go. That's why I say, I'll say it again. Pray for my wife. She's married to an idiot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's okay. God has given them to me. It's not my fault. It's his. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> no, we don't define these things by earthly categories. We want to always have a long view. We want to define them by heavenly categories. Sometimes you need a hug. Sometimes you need to be picked up and told everything will be okay. You know what you need sometimes? Sometimes you need your butt kicked. You just do. <laughs> Gotta love that family. I'm not hugging you. No. Sometimes you need a difficult day and you need your rear end kicked one good time and it will be good for you. Hebrews chapter 12. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. This is the example we've used before. When you go to Walmart, do you snatch up, spank, and yell at other people's children? No, why not? They're other people's children. Who do you fuss at when they get out of line? Your children. You don't like just grab strangers and be like, why are you running? Three-year-old, like, what just happened? <laughs> There's laws against that. Well, <laughs> ginger might. <laughs> no, see, Ginger's, ginger's smart enough. She's not going to grab him. She's just going to bump him with the cart and knock him down. <laughs> Boom. That's what happens when you run, sweetie. See, she's laughing because she's done it. <laughs> Daryl's seen her. <laughs> no. See, same thing applies in this world. God disciplines his children. We prune you from a love and desire for Egypt. For some, We get you to desire something else. Why don't you want to stay here for eternity? Why do you long for an eternity with God? Because this place is miserable sometimes. And if it was never miserable, what would you want? I would want this, but I am pruned, I am disciplined, and I am pointed to something greater and better where healing is done. Now, what's the promise of Revelation? He binds up their wounds and wipes away the tears from their eyes. He cares for them. He protects them. They are given safety and security and peace. What are the things you do not have in this world? Safety and security and peace. And you know how I know that? How many of you go to bed and lock your doors? Because you want as much safety and security as you can provide. And you know if you leave your windows open and your doors unlocked, you don't feel safe and secure and at peace. <laughs> Why do you think I have a big dog? Because <laughs> people walk up to my door and go, that's a big dog. That's why he lives here. He probably won't bite you, but you don't know that. And you just go, that's a big dog and I don't want to take my chances. So it works. It slows you down. That's all I need. Just slows you down. Because in this world we have what? What did Jesus promise you? In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. See, God gives you peace. God promises you security. You don't get it here. Israel is now learning that lesson. They need that lesson. Christian, so do you. Do you know why you need that lesson? Because if you were in the Bible, you'd be in line. Verse 15, the foreman of the sons of Israel came and cried out to Pharaoh. What's the problem with that phrase? 
Who should we be crying out to? Who are we whining at? And they said, there is no straw given to your servants. Yet they keep saying, make bricks. Behold, your servants are being beaten. But it's the fault of your own people. Who really thinks that's going to work? Like, raise your hand. You think this, this appeal to Pharaoh saying, this is all your fault, is actually going to accomplish something. Yeah, exactly. Now, keep in mind, before this all happened, where were we? Moses and Aaron walk in, gather the elders. We do the whole hand leper thing. We do the whole stick snake thing. We do the pouring of the water into blood. We do all of that. And we tell them, God, Yahweh on high is going to deliver us out of this place. And here's how he's going to do it. This is what he's told us. This is what he's promised. And this is what we're supposed to do. And everyone went, yes, let's worship. And they got together and they made sacrifices and they sang songs and they celebrated. And then Moses and Aaron went off to Pharaoh and everybody went off the rails, off the bridge, buried in the bottom of the ocean. We don't know what happened. We've forgotten like that. Why? Because life is hard. That's kind of the point. Luke 9. He was saying to them, this is Jesus talking, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. The reason you do this daily, the, de the reason you remind yourself of this on a day-in and day-out basis is because otherwise, this is what we look like. More worried about what the world thinks, what the world gives, and less worried about God. Remember what we talked about a week ago? Was it last week or week before last? I don't know. Listen to the old sermons. They'll do you good. <laughs> the severity of God. God will bring every evil act unto judgment. He will punish evildoers. He will judge sin. And he will do it in righteousness. When is the time to rejoice in it? It's right here. Psalm 137. O daughter of Babylon, you devastated one. How blessed will be the one who repays you with the recompense with which you have repaid us. Remember, Babylon was the instrument of God's justice. Babylon went in and destroyed the temple, took the people into captivity, burned Jerusalem, did all of that. What was the faithful Israelites' response? Your turn's coming. You have done this. You have slaughtered us. God will judge your sin. This is a reminder also, think about this, at this point in history, think about your long arc of the Bible. What are the faithful people of God waiting for? They're waiting for a savior, not a return, he hasn't shown up yet at this point, not us, them. <laughs> I realize you got that. Yeah, they're waiting for the savior. What's he going to do specifically? Genesis 3, right? I will put enmity between you and the woman, talking to the serpent, between your seed, your offspring, and her seed, her offspring. He shall bruise you on the head. You shall bruise him on the heel. They're waiting for a fight. They're waiting for that Messiah, that Savior, that Deliverer to get nipped at and him to do what? Have you ever seen the Passion? That's one of the scenes, right, in the garden. The snake comes up, and they, they, Mel Gibson included that intentionally as a reminder of Genesis. The serpent comes in, and Jesus does what? 
because we're done here. Defeated, dead, put under foot. In order to do that, we have to have the fight. We have to have the battle. Is that always going to be simple? No, this is what's going on. Now, because they have forgotten all of this worship, all of this promise, all of these things, who is now empowered and emboldened even more? Pharaoh is. So Pharaoh said, you are lazy, very lazy. And therefore you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. So go and work, for you will be given no straw. Yet you must deliver the quota of bricks. And the foremen of the sons of Israel saw that they were in trouble because they were told, you must not reduce your daily amount of bricks. Are they in trouble? See, if you answered yes to that, you missed the point of the story. Who's in trouble? Pharaoh's in trouble. Pharaoh is now engaged in a battle against God. It's like if, if, we, brought a, if we brought a bear out and like put him in the backfield, like an angry one, we already know Jonathan's crazy enough to go fight it. So when we send Jonathan out there to punch the bear in the nose, who you got in the fight? normal people who you got in the fight the bear like are you sitting there as jonathan walks out in the field going man that bear is in so much trouble no you're like, you're gonna be like pam have you called his mama this do have, have like you'd be doing the old clint eastwood western thing before he walks out measuring him you know figuring out if we got enough extra wood to make a coffin the israelites aren't in trouble pharaoh is in trouble. He is going up against God Most High, sovereign creator and ruler and sustainer of all creation. Israel's being pruned. Pharaoh's being judged. Who's in trouble here? This is part of, again, your warning. That hatred of God that manifests as a hatred of people of God also shows itself by mocking and scoffing. Uh, Jude, verses 17 through 21. Beloved, Remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They were saying to you, in the last times there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lusts. These are the ones who cause divisions, worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit. But you, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. See, that's what this is supposed to look like faithfully walking and trusting, knowing that as you mock God, that's not my problem. That's whose problem? That's yours. Because what do I know? Either you will bear that sin or Christ will have borne that sin for you. But either way, judgment is coming. And if you thought it couldn't get any worse, when they left Pharaoh's presence, they met Moses and Aaron as they were waiting for them. Kind of makes sense if you're Moses and Aaron. Like, what do he say? They said to them, May the Lord look upon you, this is the people to Moses and Aaron, and judge you, for you have made us odious in Pharaoh's sight and in the sight of his servants to put a sword in their hand to kill us. Wait a minute. Before this all happened, you were told what? Pharaoh's going to say no, but God will work. When they went to Pharaoh, what were they supposed to do? Give the demands and do all the signs. Did we miss something? Did you see any signs? See, I didn't see any signs either, which, which means if you didn't see him and I didn't see him, guess what means that's happened? They weren't there. 
So you didn't do it. Like, I go, I make the demands, I give the signs, Pharaoh says no, God moves mightily and brings all of his stuff that he's going to bring. Well, in order for God to bring all the stuff he's got to bring, what are we supposed to do? We, could, we didn't do the signs. We tucked our tails between our legs and went, please, oh, okay, I'm sorry. We missed it. And the people did the same thing. Question of the day. Who are the Israelites afraid of? They're afraid of Pharaoh. Matthew chapter 10. Do not fear those who kill the body but are, but are unable to kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. This is why you're given that warning. God is the only one deserving of our fear, and catch this, capable of delivering you from that fear. See, it is the kindness of God that leads you to repentance, Romans 2.4. What does that mean? When you recognize, you woke up one day, looked at the law, and went, oh, snap, I'm guilty. And if I'm guilty, then all that lying I've been doing to myself means that that was not true, and this is true, which means I'm due judgment. And the fear of the Lord becomes the beginning of wisdom, because what does the wise person do when they're faced with an obstacle they cannot overcome? They figure out another way. Well, I can't avoid the judgment of God because I'm not righteous. Ooh, but I have been given righteousness in Christ if I will but trust him, have faith in him, and walk in him. Turn from my wicked ways, trust in his provision, and now walk with no wrath. That's a win. That's what wise people do. Therefore, that is what the believer has done. Only God deserves our fear, and only God can deliver us from that fear. So when that fear moves off of God to something or someone else, where is the redemption? It doesn't exist. It has to be taken away from this thing, put the relationship back at God where it belongs, and then there is redemption. Then there is deliverance. Ephesians 2, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. Having been built up on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building is being fitted together, is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are also being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Why? Because God has delivered. Because the relationship is right, and he is now encouraging and working and pruning to make sure you stay on that path. Now, we understand that. We've seen that this is coming. Israel knew that this was coming. So has anything changed? Like, as we've been reading this through, has anything unusual happened yet? No, but we're not reacting like you should react if you know what's coming. So has that, does that mean God's changed? Obvious answer to that question is what? No, God does not change. Malachi 3 tells you that. Hebrews 13 tells you that. So who's changed? Why did we worship at the end of chapter 4 and we're whining and complaining at the end of chapter 5? If God hasn't changed, who did? The people did. Their hearts did. This is the problem. God has told them what would happen. It has happened, and they're going, I can't believe this has happened. Christian, let's carry this lesson forward because nothing has changed. God has told you what this world will be like. God has told you what the end of this world will be like. God has told you what you will face in this world and how you are to walk in this world. And none of that has changed. 
why are we surprised? Why do we sit here and go, I can't believe these people are doing this. I can't believe that the Chinese government is locking up Christians. I can't believe the North Koreans are slaughtering people. I can't believe they're doing these things. I can. As, as I told a teacher of six-year-olds one day, she was all confused that we keep bringing in all these unchurched kids and they don't behave. And I'm like, so let me get this straight. You're, you've got a church culture and a setup and how your classroom is supposed to run. You're bringing in a bunch of kids who have never been in that culture, never been in church, never been expected to sit down, behave, and follow along, and you're wondering why they don't follow you. And she said, yeah, I kind of am. And it, it hit her in that moment, like, what, what the problem was. And I told her, I said, remember, even when they're children, the pagans be paganing. Meaning, when the pagans act, how do they act? Like pagans! I actually had a kid in my daycare when I, when I was in seminary whose last name was Pagan. And his mom said, yeah, we, we pronounce it Pagan, although he will act like a little pagan. <laughs> I mean, it just is what it is. This is how the world is going to be. Christian, why are we surprised? Why do we look and go, I don't know what I'm supposed to do? Yes, you do. Yes, you do. You walk faithfully, knowing that he has borne your punishment, knowing that the discipline of God will prune you and purify and sanctify you in this place, and that no matter what may befall before you, you will be God's. Therefore, we walk. But I don't like it. I didn't say you would. I don't want to. I didn't say you would. That's why the Holy Spirit keeps doing this number. Keep going. Don't keep going. There you go. Good job. I mean, go back to the shepherd. If the sheep won't leave the sheep pen, what does the shepherd do? I guess we'll just have to leave that one behind. No! Come here! <laughs> I used to take my, well, you said, we, we had a Newfoundland, 120 pounds of him. He never wanted to go get on the little raise-up scale at the vet where they could mess with him. So did we just sit there and go, well, he won't step on the table, so I guess we'll just have to go home and not get our vet appointment done. No! I walked over, picked him up, and put him on the table. This isn't an option for you. You're getting checked out. He always gave me the same look. Even when he was little, he just knew he wasn't supposed to be picked up. It was just weird to him. He was just like, welcome to what the Holy Spirit does for you in sanctification. I don't want to walk. I don't care. We're going. You're mine. Keep ya. There you go. Good job. Get a cookie at the end. That's how this works. We know this. We know what we're supposed to do. What we're really saying when we say, I don't know how I'm supposed to live in this world. What we're really saying is, I don't want to be different. I don't want to do the hard thing and choose the difficult road. And if you can live like that, then what you're saying is, I'm not being spurred on by the Holy Spirit. See, that's when you worry. If you can walk along with this place, what you're saying is, I haven't trusted in Christ, because what I'm really trusting in is me. And that's a dangerous place to be. That's why we have discipline. That's why we have communion of the saints. That's why we have prayer. That's why we have scripture. That's why we work and walk together so that we encourage one another so that when we are faced with that decision, we can look around and go, all right, I am not by myself and we can keep moving. And if you thought all of that was bad, verse 22, Moses returned to the Lord and said, oh Lord, why have you brought harm to this people? Why did you ever send me? What did God tell Moses was going to happen? That Pharaoh was going to say no. Who has now forgotten that? This is why you need discipline in your walk. And I don't just mean like, you know, somebody whacked you with a stick discipline. I mean discipline that is internal. Like, like parents, people that are adults in a household. 
Do you enjoy washing the dishes? Well, you're, we already know you're weird, so that's okay. No, but we all wash dishes. Why? Because some things just need to be done. And because they just need to be done, I have discipline in my life. I get up and do what? The things that need to be done. We call this adulting. I don't want to go to work, but what do I do? I go to work because I like, you know, having a house and driving a car and living life. And, you know, I'm very passionate about not starving to death, and I need money to do that. Therefore, I do what? I go to work. I don't want to, but I discipline myself to get up on time to go to work. Because if I don't get up on time to go to work, what's going to happen eventually? I'm going to get fired if I keep showing up late. I'm not going to go to work anymore. And then I, and then, you know, I got to... <laughs> There's a perk to that, but you still got to be disciplined enough to make your schedule and keep it. Same system at work. Guess who's now got to learn this lesson? Moses. Guess who does learn this lesson? Moses. What does he tell the people before they enter the land? Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. Teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. Bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontals on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. In other words, talk about this stuff. Teach this stuff because if you don't, you know what you're going to do? You're going to do like me and forget. Don't do that. 23. Ever since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done harm to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. To which we should say, duh. Has God demonstrated his mighty power? Has God humbled Pharaoh and broken the power of Egypt? No. Was that a prerequisite for delivering the people? Yes. Probably shouldn't mention the name, but there's a comedian that used to use this line. And he said, this is, this is one of the great lines of humanity. It's simple. If you haven't gotten where you're going, you aren't there yet. Duh, right? God's going to demonstrate his mighty power before Egypt. Then he will deliver his people. Has he done that? No. Then we're not at the deliverance portion of the program. Of course he hasn't delivered the people at all. He hasn't demonstrated who he is, why he is, and what he is doing on behalf of his people. We're not there. Therefore, we're not doing the stuff we're going to do when we get there. Isaiah chapter 40. Why do you say, O Jacob, and assert, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? The justice do me escapes the notice of my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youth grows weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. We're not there yet, so we're not doing those things. Christian, this is your basis for how you bear up. You don't prepare beforehand to stand firm. When the trial comes, you do what? You stand. Why? Because then you are strengthened. Then you are girded by the Holy Spirit. Like, Does it do me any good to strengthen you now for stuff you're not dealing with? No. I need to strengthen you when? When you get there. 
not now. Like, how many of you are studying to win Jeopardy? Like, anybody studying to win Jeopardy? Why not? Because you're not going on Jeopardy. <laughs> when will you study to go on to win Jeopardy? When you know you're going. Like, how many of you are preparing to win the Super Bowl? Why not? That's a fun thing to do, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm ready. You're not preparing to win the Super Bowl because you're not even preparing to try out for a team because you're not on a football team. That would be a waste of your time. So you don't do it. Welcome to how the Holy Spirit works in your life. You are girded for the things you will face when you are to face them. This is your foundation for how you bear up. Walking in faithfulness now. Trusting in his provision so that when the time comes, you will be successful. 1 Corinthians 9. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. And everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. What's he talking about? He's talking about walking faithfully, not as the world walks, but as Christ calls, not as the world desires, but as the Holy Spirit commands, dealing with things as they come. How? How can he do that? Because he's fellowshipping with the saints, he's living in prayer, he's studying the scriptures, and he's walking faithfully. And if you're doing all of those things, then when the trial comes, the Holy Spirit will be there, and he's got you. Because he's always had you, and he always will. These are the lessons that Israel is supposed to be learning. These are the lessons that Christian, we as the church, are supposed to be learning. These are the lessons I think, sadly, we have forgotten way too much. And we look at politics, and we look at laws, and we look at judges, and we go, why aren't they doing better? I don't know. Because they're pagans, and they don't care about God. Therefore, they don't care about God's people. That's why they're not doing any better. What do I do? Well, when you get the opportunity, speak up. When you get the opportunity, vote. But in the meantime, walk in faith. And then no matter who wins an election, no matter what judge does on a bench, you have been given God. And that, as dumb as this is to have to say out loud, that is better than any law, that is, any, that is better than any lawmaker, and that is better than anything this world will provide because it is eternal. Let's pray. Again, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the testimony that you have given in your word, for the works that you have demonstrated, for the lessons that you have taught. We know and you know that this is not always an easy world. But Lord, your burden is light and your yoke is easy. And I pray that you would strengthen us to walk in it. That as this world gives us trouble, we will rejoice in you and your great salvation. And as we are pressured, that you will strengthen so that we bear up. Lord, let us be the testimony that you have called the people that you have redeemed, so that we will work in a kingdom that you have established. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Lord, I lift your name on high. Lord, I love to sing your praises. I'm so glad you're in my life. 
Remember, a handful of prayer requests for the week that, you know, Mike's continued health, uh, Vi, Sam, and Shelby as well. So just remember those as you go throughout the week. Uh, Clark as well. I know his leg is getting better and going from there. And, oh, are they doing the skin graft? They are. They, have they done it or are they doing it? They've done it. So they have done your skin graft, and hopefully that's going to take care of that and heal that spot up as well. So remember all of these as you get your prayers this week, and, and thank you in advance. All right, let's, let's close. Again, Lord, as we leave, we pray that you would guard us, that you would guide us, that we would hear and trust, walking faithfully as you have called, knowing that it is your kingdom that is good and secure. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. I ain't got a clue. <laughs>